Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I went through some couple pretty traumatic things at, at five years old. First, my mom left and my dad became a single dad. Um, and shortly thereafter, I was uh, sexually abused. And so the reason why I share those two things is because what that did for me right around that time when I found the game of hockey was um, as much as I was excited to watch hockey and it excited me, what it really did is it, it allowed me to escape from all that pain and, and that, that hurt that I was feeling um, that I didn't understand at five years old. And so very quickly I became obsessed with hockey because it was uh, it was just that escape that I was looking for. He may only be in his mid-30s, but today's guest has experienced more in his life than many of us will experience in a lifetime. He's hoping that by sharing his story, that I'll be able to help others who are going through a similar situation. We're joined today by Brady Liebold. He is the founder of Puck Support. He's going to share his story with us, why it's so important to put a spotlight on mental health issues within the hockey world. He's also going to share with us a little bit about his organization, Puck Support. Brady Liebold joins us today. He is the founder of Puck Support. Growing up, you always had a dream. You had a dream of hockey like every other Canadian out there. Hockey was a passion. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, I don't know how much time we have. Um, but yeah, I, you know, growing up, I grew up in Port Coquitlam, which is the hometown of Terry Fox, just outside of Vancouver. And, um, you know, I had a, had a normal childhood up until the time I was uh, five and um, went through some couple pretty traumatic things uh, at, at five years old. First, my mom left and my dad became a single dad. Um, and shortly thereafter, I was uh, sexually abused. And so, the reason why I share those two things is because what that did for me right around that time when I found the game of hockey was um, as much as I was excited to watch hockey and it excited me, what it really did is it, it allowed me to escape from all that pain and, and that, that hurt that I was feeling um, that I didn't understand at five years old. And so very quickly, I became obsessed with hockey because it was uh, it was just that escape that I was looking for. So if I wasn't on the ice, I was in my carport or on the front street. If I didn't have friends to play with, I was playing by myself, playing both sides of the teams. Oh, you got checked. This like I was just I was always playing hockey in the house. I was watching hockey on TV, stick handling in between commercials on break. And um, it, it was because I loved it. But more than anything, it was because I just felt safe um, and I felt like I didn't have to feel all those those things. Um, but yeah, I had definitely had a dream uh, of playing uh, professional hockey, but never, ever uh, allowed myself to fully believe in myself. And uh, that obviously hindered my career moving forward. And and uh, we can get into that. So I hope that answers your question. It's the short form. There's a lot that goes into that, though. You did find a lot of success uh, with your hockey career. What was it like when you made it to um, the professional level? Do you remember that first professional game stepping on the ice for that first lap and warm up? What was that like? Yeah. Um, you know, I wish, I wish that, you know, when I tell, told this story and, and telling this story that it was uh, happier times, uh, but it really wasn't at that time. Um, unfortunately, by the time I uh, turned professional after a, 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 cur- a junior career throughout the Western Hockey League that was riddled with mental illness and, and the onset of early addiction, um, you know, I wasn't in a good headspace and uh, didn't really put myself in a, a position to succeed on the ice or off the ice for that matter. Um, I was really just uh, slipping away slowly. 
um, and really started to self-medicate and isolate. And uh, before too long, I felt like, uh, you know, I was alone in, in trying to fix this problem to, to hold on to my hockey career. And uh, I thought that I had to do it all on my own. And, uh, you know, if anyone wants to read more about my story, things got pretty ugly. So, uh, you know, I, I wish I could answer that question. I wish it was a happy moment for me, but I was, it was not a good headspace. It was riddled with anxiety and, and stress and uh, my head was uh, in a different place. So when I think back to that moment, I just wish that I could um, maybe go back just, just for a second and just enjoy um, what that moment maybe would feel like today if I had that opportunity again. Now you say it was pretty messy and for people who haven't heard your story, like you ended up homeless. This was, this was devastating for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I ended up a lot of things and that I never thought that I would be And um, anyone that's ever been out to the West coast of Vancouver, um, downtown Vancouver, there's a place called, you know, Hastings in the surrounding area, downtown, the Vancouver downtown East side. And, Growing up in and around that area, my dad used to take me down there and, and, you know, if you don't go to school or if you do drugs or if this is where you end up and it was never a possibility in my mind, right? Like it it was, we would drive past there and lock the doors and uh, to be honest with you early on throughout my early teens and that judging uh, addicts and, and, and thinking to myself, like, why, why can't they just get a job? Why can't they, why can't they figure it out? And, um, in 2015, I, I found myself um, homeless on those very streets for close to a year. Uh, and I never thought, you know, you think back to 2008, 2009, I made my professional debut in hockey. And, and on the outside, things were certainly looking pretty promising uh, to anybody um, on the outside. But I, I knew that it was it was all going to end. I, I never would have thought that I would end up homeless. And from there, guys, I, I ended up in jail and uh, did three years. I spent three years of my life uh, behind bars. I've spent a, almost a year of my life homeless and uh, another year of my life uh, in psych wards. Uh, mm-hmm. and multiple times, six months here, three months, three months, like just a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of places that you just never think you want you're going to be. Uh, Growing up, I never thought I would be an addict. I never thought I would be homeless. I never thought I would be in jail. Uh, and all of a sudden, there I was. And it felt like it happened overnight. And all of a sudden, it felt... Uh, I started to believe that this was this was my path. And this was all I... This was it. And I had given up hope 100% and uh, tried everything. Tried everything to get my life back. Multiple rehabs. Dozens of detoxes. Um Inpatient, outpatient, counselors, psychiatrists, medications, um, everything. I, I exhausted every resource that was available to me and uh, my family even paid out of pocket at different times. Uh, you know, I went through every government agency in multiple cities and clinics and um, nothing was working. And so by the time I you know, ended up homeless, uh, it, it just was... That was it for me. You know, I'd already tried to take my own life on multiple times or multiple occasions. And at this, you know, I, I always just say like, I've overdosed over 10 times. I don't know what the, what the number is uh, myself. Uh, I just, I know it's over 10 and I've lost so many friends. 
And I'm just very lucky um, to be speaking with you guys today and uh, very fortunate that I've been able to turn my life around because when I was going through all of that, uh, there was there was no end in sight. Like the only end in sight was either like it was death and I was okay with that. And I was just like, that's, I was just waiting to die because I knew I was hurting people that I cared about and loved. Um, I knew I was hurting myself. Um, I knew somewhere deep down that I was capable of better, but I kept trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. Uh, but I kept trying to do it my way and, uh, it wasn't working. So, um, Finally, I decided to get uh, brutally honest, and uh, that's kind of where I was able to uh, take my life back and, and start to make some changes. And you go from hurting other people, like you mentioned, right, to now you're helping others uh, with your organization, Puck Support. Tell us a little bit about Puck Support, how it came to be and what you do now. Yeah, that's a, it, it's, it's emotional for me to think about this, especially right now, because I just lost another former teammate to overdose on Christmas, actually somebody that I tried to help in, in recent months. Uh, we actually raised some money and then it got him off the street because he was another hockey player who was homeless and in very much the same situation that I was and a, and a friend of mine. And, um, he just passed away of an overdose on Christmas. Um, and this ties into puck support. That's why I'm telling you this. So when I uh, decided to take a chance, I started my own podcast and it was, it was originally called hockey to heroin, the road to recovery, because I know I didn't get into it, but uh, I was a fentanyl user and, and everything in between. We don't need to get into the details, uh, but as I was doing it the worst way you could think of, and uh, it wasn't very good. And I thought, I, you know, I'm going to sh- maybe share my story. Maybe I can help one person. And uh, I started this podcast. It's now called Hockey to Hell and Back. But um, through doing that, I, I started to uncover these stories of other hockey players, like I was just talking about, who are struggling and who have lost their life to suicide and overdose. And, um, you know, of course, we've heard of, of several uh, in the news, but there's so many more that I had never heard of. And I'm sure you've never heard of either. And, uh, I started to connect with people and realized that there was a huge need, a huge need um, within, I think within the, just the global space itself, um, but definitely inside the hockey community for a shift in culture, for a shift in change and, and for there some ways somehow to be some actual support for, for players, uh, for coaches, for hockey parents, educational tools, resources, this kind of stuff, because the world is, is, is quite difficult to navigate at the best of times. And when you start, you know, you bring in competitive hockey, um, into the mix, it can, it can get pretty messy and, uh, parents and, and kids get lost in their dreams. And, and when it doesn't work out, uh, or injuries happen or, or whatever life happens uh, and hockey is no longer, you know, a part of their daily life, it, it seems at least in my experience and my research that, hockey players have a really hard time transitioning into everyday life. And so that's why that was the original idea for puck sport was to support, you know, former junior and pro hockey players uh, who may be struggling with mental illness or addiction. Um, You know, and, and I would, you know, the goal is to one day, have all the supports in place. If, if people need support, they can get it. If they're a hockey player, if they're a coach, if they're a parent, they have those, they have that accessible. That's the goal. Um, obviously it's taken a long time. Uh, it's been two, almost two years since the idea kind of came to fruition. And I started with nothing. I walked out of jail. I didn't even have any, didn't even own anything. I had a pair of shoes from jail and like a pair of jeans and like nothing. I had to borrow the computer for the podcast that I started and, and everything. And um, so I've sort of 
started to build this network of people who have kind of re- responded to uh, what I've been doing and, and what others have contributed as well. It's not just me. I'm very grateful for so many people that have stepped up and, and been a voice for us. It's It's been amazing. Um, but I, I quickly found out that it wasn't just about former hockey players. It, it's, we got to get to, the, we got to get grassroots. We got to get to the, the young kids. We got to empower them with the tools and the resources. And um, because I know what it was like to, to suffer, you know, I was sexually abused. I didn't tell anybody till I was 26. Uh, I didn't want to talk openly about my, my mental illness or my addiction. I didn't want to tell anybody, especially in hockey, because all of a sudden you're playing major junior hockey. You don't want to talk about your, your problems. Cause now you think the coach is going to look at you differently and you're going to be kicked off the team. And it's just, that's the way that the culture of hockey was and probably still is. I know for a fact it still is. It's gotten better, but we're nowhere near where it needs to be. So a big part of what I wanted to do through puck support after uncovering the stories of these tragedies of these deaths, I wanted to do something to remember these players, not just the ones who played in the NHL, but the ones that were, you know, the 14 year old girl who played hockey that committed suicide, the 15 year, the 16 year old boy and the 18 year old boy who were brothers, Jack and Nick Savage, who played hockey. They're from the States. They went to a high school party and experimented with drugs for the first time. And they both overdosed and died in the same night, two brothers. Wow. These are, these are the stories that I've started to uncover. And, and I wanted to do something to honor these, these hockey players. And so, um, you know, we started this, we started this clothing line. Um, Doug Gilmore's brother actually helped raise the initial money to, to get it going. And because I didn't have 10 grand to start a charity and pay this lawyer. And I was like, Oh, what the, what am I going to do? How are we going to spread some hope? And, you know, so we started this clothing line and, and again, I do everything. I got a heat press. I'm pressing the clothes, doing everything. Cause I had to, I had no, no one trusted me when I first started. I was a, you know, I burned every bridge in my life and I, it took a, it took a lot to get here. It's almost been two years, but I mean, what we do with the clothing is uh, on every hat or every shirt or um, whatever it is somewhere uh, on the inside of the hat or on the inside of the shirt, there'll be a name of one of those players. And there's like close to 50 players in our database. And it'll say like, you know, um, Mitch Fadden, 1988 to 2017, who was a guy I played against in junior, was my roommate in the American Hockey League, drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning, died in an overdose in 2017. Uh, you don't hear about these stories. This was a guy who was a WHL all-star, um, was a very, very good hockey player and died of an overdose and then he's just one of many sadly and so it was a way to honor and remember them and and honestly the families of these uh, these individuals that we've lost uh for example daniel minor he was a former major junior hockey player here in ontario with the Barry colts i'm now in ontario by the way originally from port coquillum i'm in muskoka ontario now though um just for people listening but daniel minor passed away of an overdose as well i, I believe in march uh, late March of 2021. I didn't know him. Uh, I never got to meet him. But after hearing his story, I was able to connect with his family. And now his mom, his dad, his sister, everybody, his entire community, they, they've embraced puck support. Me, I was at a celebration of life. And when I went to the celebration of life, there was 40 people out of like 100 that were wearing puck support stuff, all with the memory of Daniel Miner in it. Um, and it's just a great way to honor them. And the reason why I opened with a friend that that uh, I lost on Christmas is because he was, like I said, I actually flew him out to Ontario and tried to get him in rehab. He didn't. He said he was going to go. He got here. He didn't want to go. And he went home. And that was about eight months ago. And I just found out he passed away of an overdose in a homeless shelter in Vancouver on Christmas. And so it's been a really tough um, 10, you know, 10 days for me. And I actually just put his name 
um, in the very, in the shirt for the very first time about 10 minutes before this, um, interview. And so, you know, this is, this is the harsh reality of, of this, what, what can happen. And, and sorry, I know you want to cut me off. It's not a hockey related problem, but what I know is hockey and I know mental illness and addiction. And so if I can somehow bring those three things together and, and, and maybe some other things with some amazing people, then maybe we can save a couple of lives or even just one. How, how do we change not only like the culture within hockey, but maybe within our country, right? Because I mean, you'll see lists come out every once in a while, different stories like top 10 draft busts of this decade and stuff, right? And we love to harp on people that couldn't quote cut it in the league. But I often wonder, well, what else is that play here? It's obviously not just hockey. These people have been dealing with other things. Your story it's an unfortunate one, but as we're hearing, like it's not an uncommon one. How do we change our culture in Canada to look at hockey players in a different way and, and leave some room for, I don't know, understanding and, and grace maybe? That's a great question that I get asked a lot and something that I have a very difficult time answering. Um, there's so much good in the game of hockey. It's it's given me so much. It's given me my life back. Uh but when you sift through it and you can, it's not hard to see that there's a lot of, you know, things that need to be addressed. And um, I'm not sure how to go about that, but you mentioned like the top 10 draft bus or whatever, you know, for example, I'm friends with Kyle beach. I'm sure you heard that story, the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a friend of mine and you know he was one of them. He was one of them, you know, being ripped for, for years because he never panned out first round draft pick this and that. And, and uh, no one, no one, well, I shouldn't say no one knew because people knew, but the majority of people didn't know. And he's, there he is for the last 10 years or whatever it's been uh, being ridiculed and questioned and, you know, probably people around him going, man, what a failure, what a loser, what a, you know, and I was like that, but he was on a way bigger <laughs> stage than I was. And um, I just, it's sad. And so I think when, I think when we, we as people recognize that maybe people aren't living up to their potential, um, whether it's in hockey or, or at work or in school. Um, maybe instead of judging people, maybe instead of uh, just going at them and, and trying to find reasons why that are negative and to bring them down, maybe there's a conversation that we can, we can have with that individual um, or the, the, their supporting cast as well to say, hey, what's going on here? Like, what can, can we get to the root of this issue? If we see something's going on, for example, when I was a kid, after all that stuff happened, I started to act out immensely. Crazy temper tantrums on the ice, off the ice, didn't matter. I was not a kid that you really was, I was unpredictable. Uh, and I don't blame anybody um, for not, you know, knowing what happened to me uh, by any means, but maybe you know, we can learn something from that in, in the stories. And when you see a drastic change in a behavior or, or something, or someone's, like I said, not living up to their potential, maybe there is, it's probably something going on. So I don't know how to go about that with everybody because everybody's different. Um, you can't approach everybody the same way. Uh, but I think that that's important just to recognize. And if we can learn the signs where, you know, maybe somebody's struggling, let's, let's pick them up instead of pushing yeah. them especially young people, right? Like, I mean, so many of these hockey players, like they're teenagers or young adults and there's all this pressure on them. And uh, it's, it's really ridiculous actually when we, when we stop and take a look at what we're expecting of, of teenage boys and, and young men. It's um, yeah, it's, it's very, it took me a while to even realize 
I think a lot of us, I can only speak for myself, but when I was 16, I thought I was an adult. I was like, I got like, (laughs) man, like I got this and moving away from home to Swift Current at 16, I was a mess. And that was just, that was just having to move away from home, never mind the the bullying and the hazing and everything else that went on in my rookie year. And, and not just a life of, I didn't want to go to the rink to be honest, because I was just so like miserable and how I was being treated inside the dressing room and everything else. And so I don't know. I, I just think that think that there's a, there needs to be a major shift here and, and I'm just trying to be part of the solution in any small way. Puck support is obviously an important resource that really wasn't out there. It's also something that hopefully one day uh, won't need to be around. Yeah. um, That would be, that would be ideal. I think in a perfect world, Uh, I think now more than ever though, we're seeing the numbers being like they're, I don't even know how accurate they are, but from the, I've had so many conversations surrounding mental illness and addiction this last two years where people are messaging me and, you know, having open conversations either on the phone or or DMS or whatever. Um, There's a lot of people that are struggling and a lot of people who are maybe struggling for the first time going through like really struggling, you know, like with this, this crazy world we're living in with this pandemic. I'm in Ontario. The lockdowns are pretty intense and, you know, I don't even want to get into it uh, to, to the political side of it or anything like that. All I know is that uh, I've I've lost a lot of friends to overdose since the pandemic happened. Um, a lot of them were were doing well, and and things like the gym or their AANA meetings were taken away, and um, they fell back into uh, into this life, and and now they're no longer here. And so, I don't know. I, I just I just think that you know it'd be nice if we didn't have to have. Um, a resource like puck support um, or even that we're having this conversation. Uh, But unfortunately, I don't think these issues are going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, They're only going to, I hope, I hope for the best, but I I think we're, we're, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg right now. I worry about kids um, on a, on a larger scale uh, right across the board. um, What this is going to do for them moving forward um, in and out of school. They're not getting the social skills. They're not, um, all this stuff. They're just scared. There's a lot of anxiety. What does that look like in 10 years? Uh, it's just, it's, it's not going anywhere, unfortunately. So this is something that I'm taking on head on and, uh, anybody that wants to be involved with, with puck support or anything that I'm doing or that we're doing, cause I have goals of, of being beyond the hockey community once we kind of get this all structured and I can kind of, uh, move, move on to my, my heart is telling me that I need to be on the front lines in the downtown East side. And, uh, not sure if I'm there quite yet. There's things that I need to do, but there'll be a time. Um, I'm sure of it when I will be there and, uh, maybe we can't save everybody, but like I always go back to, I believe that, that there's a chance of, of, you know, getting down there, doing it the right way, um, of saving lives and, and just giving people a chance. And, uh, I'd like to be able to do that for people because when I was homeless, when I was sitting there, I dreamed, I used to dream of, of somebody that, um, you know, outside of my mom, outside of my dad, because they were the only ones that ever came to see me when I was homeless. They'd look for me or whatever. I would try to avoid them, but I would sit there, you know, sitting there getting rained on or whatever. I have nowhere to go, sleeping on a literally a cardboard box and thinking to myself, like, I just want somebody from my old life to come save me. I just want somebody to care about me. I just want somebody to come, like, give me a chance because I can't do it on my own. And I didn't have, uh, I 
didn't really have the, I don't know what the word is, but I wasn't going to be me reaching out uh, for help. Like I was, that point in my life was done. I had tried everything. I was sick of failing and uh, everybody had given up on me, it seemed. And I just really wanted, uh, and not to say that it would have worked, but I, I just was, I just remember sitting there thinking like, wouldn't it be something Somebody that I just like care about me, or somebody random just said, "Hey, do you want a chance at life again? Do you want to come with me right now? I got a re- I got a rehab for you. I got this for you, whatever it is." And I'd like to be able to do that for people. Um, I'd really like to be able to do that for people because I know what it's like to f- sit there and feel hopeless and just praying that that you're going to be saved, but you can't save yourself. It's pretty uh, powerful. Like, yeah, if that did happen, and that actually, like, I struggled with addiction, not quite to where you were. But at one point, a few months before I got sober, one of my friends looked at me and he said, I'm worried about you, man. You need to settle down and start taking it easy. And that kind of snapped me out of it because it was like, whoa, like somebody actually does care about me, right? And those words and reaching out like that can be pretty powerful. Uh, How can we join you and Puck Support and be involved with what you're doing and help you reach those next levels and next goals that you're dreaming of? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I wish we were we were further ahead, but the old adage, it is what it is. We are where we are, and uh, we can just go up from here. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you asking that, um, first off. I just quickly want to touch um, back on the conversation. You just said, you know, having that your friend mentioned um, to you, hey, slow down. First off, thanks for sharing um, with my, with me and, and people listening. I'm not sure if you've done it before, that, that you've yourself... Yeah had those and uh just thank you for sharing that and, and i'm proud of you for for being able to recognize that and you're very lucky uh that you had a friend like that because yeah. a lot of people in my life um they never wanted to question what i was doing uh, they you know a lot of my friends from high school they never a few of them maybe tried to step in but it was like ah, i got this i got this whatever i was young and then it got to a point where they're like we don't even want this guy around anymore like he's mm-hmm. Whatever. But I think people, the reason why I'm saying this is because people always ask me, like, what can I do to help my loved one? What can I do to help my son or my daughter, like, that's with addiction or whatever? What can I do to prevent my kids? And I say, you know, have the conversations. I tell kids, I, I do Zoom calls with hockey teams now and share my story and that kind of stuff. I absolutely love doing it. It's my passion. It's what I live for. I, I'm happier doing that than I ever was playing hockey, even if I was making the most highest paid guy in the NHL. <laughs> would not trade it for what I'm doing right now. There's not a chance in hell, not any amount of money, not anything. I am, I'm so good doing what I'm doing. Uh, But I always tell these kids, like, if you recognize that somebody is having an issue, whether it be mental illness or addiction, um, you recognize that something's going on, like have a conversation with them, have a conversation with their loved ones, with their, with other friends, like get it out in the open a little bit. Don't talk behind people's back and, and that, but do it in the right way where, you know, you're saying, Hey, you know, get in, kind of get like your friend did, just get in there and, and say, Hey, like, you know, I'm worried about you or whatever, because sitting back and, and watching people do it, you know, I had a lot of people do that and, uh, I'm lucky I made it out of it. I'm not blaming them or anything. I made the choices um, on my own, but I just think that having that open conversation. And then again, if somebody's already in an addiction, uh, family members, if anyone's listening to this, don't hide it from your other family members. Don't hide it from people. It's nothing really to be ashamed of. One in four people struggle with addiction in their life here in Canada. Um, you're, You're doing more damage in my experience. I'm not a doctor, but in my experience, you're doing more damage, hiding it from your family members and loved ones and everything else, because now you're, you're, you're closing off supports where people, um, could be coming in and and in the know and, you know, less enabling, less chance of all of that. 
Um, you surround the, those people um, with with people who love and care about them. Don't shut those people out. Uh, I think it's really important. I know it's a hard topic to discuss for people. It's not something to be, you know, we want to be proud of. Hey, my son's an addict. My son's right. <laughs> you know, But at the end of the day, um, hiding it doesn't do anybody any good. So um, I just wanted to touch on that. I think it's it's just my, from what I've seen in my experience, I, I, that's very important. That's what I tell people is just to have that conversation. So I feel, I thank you for letting me get that in there. Uh, how can people get involved with puck support? So right now we're kind of, a little bit at a standstill. I had a plan to rollerblade across Canada um, starting May 28th from Newfoundland to Port Coquitlam uh, for mental health and addiction and uh, COVID pending. Like I, I don't want, it's not just about, it's not about me rollerblading. I want to do it. It's not about a distance or a world record or anything like that or time or whatever. I want to do it. I want to get out there and have events and other hockey players are going to come. And uh, we already had some, you know, speaking engagements and events planned in different communities. And if it's, if COVID's running rampant and nobody can come out, then I'm going to postpone it because I want this to be about connecting. I want this to be about the people. It's not about me. It's about people finding that, that hope and, and maybe meeting people within their own community because we've come through there and spread this message. And now all of a sudden, you know, they realize they, uh, conversations struck up with, you know, somebody that lives down the street, Hey, you know, my son's going through addiction to her. I got mental, you know, what resources do you like? That's, that's yeah. the goal. Right. Is to get those conversations like I can't not any one person can be that support for everybody, but you can inspire and, and ignite kind of change and hope. And all of a sudden it, it just grows. And then, you know, within different communities, it, that conversation starts. So that's the hope. So when that happens, I would really appreciate everybody, uh, you know, just following along on the journey and we'll keep you updated. Uh, PuckSupport.com. Um, follow us on social media at puck support. I also have personal accounts, but I, I could care less if people follow me I'm more and more. I just want people to follow puck support. That's, it's really, uh, it's really my passion. And I believe that it's, it's, um, it's going to, it's going to save lives. Um, I think right now uh, we're just finishing building our board of directors for the, the charity. Uh, we're getting our MPO and then our charitable status. So uh, in the new year here, we're going to be a licensed charity, which is very exciting. And we can actually start to raise some money and, and put it back into places because again, I'm not ever going to put anybody on blast or any organization on blast. Um, but like I've done a lot of research in this field, um, organizations and not all that stuff. And so many of them, even in here, here in Canada, so many of them, some of the biggest ones, they're smoke and mirrors. They raise money and they don't offer any support and or very little. And that's not what this is. That's never what this is. This is not about, uh, this is about actually helping people. Like how can we put every single dollar, every single resource into actually helping people? There's going to be no high paid executives or anything like that. Like absolutely not. This is not about that. This is going to be, um, this is going to be the real deal. We're going to make it happen. It may take time. It may take a few years to get all those things in place. Um, all the connections throughout Canada and the United States and the, all of it, because it's kind of a, it's a lot to, to, I thought it was going to be a lot easier. Let's just put it that way. Um, but it's a process. And so I just encourage people to, to follow along and, you know, by, you know, if you buy some of the, the merchandise on our website, some of the portions go back into our mental health and addiction fund to help further that cause on that side. Um, and, you know, we've also, like I mentioned earlier, tried to help people and fortunately it didn't work out. Um, but we, we have done um, what we can with what we have. And, 
Um, just, uh, yeah, just tell your friends, tell people about it, have a conversation. You know, if you're, if you hear this and you're part of hockey, um, check out puck support. And if you think it's something that can be, um, you know, utilized in, in your hockey communities or whatever, um, reach out. If you want to be a part of it, you want to talk with me, you have an idea. Um, this isn't about me. This isn't the Brady Leavold organization. I never wanted it to be about me. I didn't want to be the face of it. I don't want to be the face of it. Um, but I didn't really have a choice at the beginning. Um, but we're slowly getting out of that. Um, but I do, uh, zoom talks with teams. That's something else. Um, if you want to support me or pucks aboard, that's something that, uh, that I'm very passionate about and do a zoom call or come in person, depending on where you are. And, um, yeah, I just, just appreciate this, this space you guys for allowing me to, to come on here and maybe reach some people that haven't heard my story and haven't heard about what's, what we're doing over here. And, and maybe some people who are struggling, uh, that are feeling like I did uh, a couple years ago and, uh, maybe they're listening or whatever going, Hey, maybe I can do something similar. Maybe I can pull myself out of that hell. And, uh, if you're listening and you're thinking that you're out, you absolutely can. And uh, it's not easy. It's going to hurt. It's going to be a process. You may fall on your face. You may fall on your face multiple times. But guess what? Just keep picking yourself up and never give up. Um, that's my best advice. And just get brutally, brutally honest. Be vulnerable. There's no shame in it. Thank you for taking the time to share your story with us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, Brady, great job. And yeah, thanks for being so open and honest with people. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Remember, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We'll talk to you again on Connections.